Welcome to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. Join us as we review our favorite RPGs, collectible card games, MMOs, video games, PC games, and bring up interesting topics and things that we'd like to share with everyone. Sit back and enjoy the show. This is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, assigned to Ragnarok Story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. All right. Well, I am Jennifer Lopez of Black Aether Cosplays. And I am Amber Martin of Shattered Reality Character Creations. These are just some of our costumes that we put together ourselves. And there's a lot of obvious things here, like there's some steampunk, pirate, wasteland, horror. Those are our realms that we like to delve into. And even sometimes we do crossovers like this guy, which is steampunk and horror. And I would say definitely retribution as well. <laughs> yeah, I definitely say he's a he's yeah. Got it down. It's the character. <laughs> we'll go through all of our character names in a minute. But what we like to do is, even though we may follow some of the stereotypical tropes that you see, like Sky Captain, pirate type person, we like to make our own characters. We like to have our own take on it, our own little spin. So we always spend some time trying to find those just right pieces. <laughs> whether we have to make them or find them. And sometimes finding them is the hard part if you can't make them. Because it's like you go to Goodwill and usually it's there, but then it's not. And you're like, well, our biggest thing is, the first question you ask is, why do you even want to make this outfit or character? You don't have to have a story, but it helps. It helps with creating it and finding the pieces. A lot of times what I like to do is with my characters, they, they're a piece of me. They're a piece of my personality. You could do that if you want, or if you want a specific, I guess, archetype or a person you want to be. The best way to portray that is just make a character. And that way you could say, this is the kind of person I want to be, or this is the person I wish I was, or, I don't know, I wish I was somebody from Marvel or something like that. (laughs) Just be careful when you do create characters that you don't... You don't step on toes or cross infringement rights. <laughs> like, you can dress up as, do your own take of Poison Ivy. You can do a steampunk Poison Ivy, plenty of those, and they're very beautifully done. But just be careful you don't say, oh, I'm the official steampunk Poison Ivy. I'm part of DC, Marvel, whatever. You know, don't go around saying that. <laughs> if you do want to say that, you're going to have to get Marvel's permission first. Yes. I mean, Disney's. Disney. Disney, yeah. Disney now. They don't give permission. No, they don't. <laughs> No, they the Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. Now the next thing. <laughs> now the next thing is, when you do create that character, you have to think: Why does the character dress the way they do? Why do they have the accessories, the weapons, the look that they do? Is it actually useful in day-to-day life? Um, and it, even if you're thinking broader, is it useful in that situation at that moment? Maybe you're trying to capture a certain moment in that character's life. 
An example would be this character's particular outfit was conglomerated together from the people he ate. Well, who is he? Explain your character. Oh, this guy? Yes. This guy is Kilo. He is a cannibal. Uh, think like Mad Max universe kind of thing. He was, in essence, he was in a pit for about 12 years of his life of where his tribe would throw people down for him to eat. And that was his only means of nourishment. So that's all he knew ever since he was 8 years old until he got out 12 years later. Is he deformed? Is that why he wears the mask? He wears the mask because he likes things that are creepy. And the way he sees it, why not smile all the time? <laughs> it's kind of like Kenny from South Park, where he always has the hood on him, and you think maybe he's deformed, maybe he's weird, but then it, it's revealed in the movie he's normal. <laughs> mm. I think in one movie he actually talks, doesn't he? Yeah, no. I think so. Uh, the series with the uh, superhero. Yeah, yeah. Superheroes. So, and you don't have to have a story. You don't have to have a reason. It's nice, too. It helps you figure out how to build your outfit. But truthfully, Amara, the one I most recognize for, for my crimson dress that has an interesting nickname. <laughs> um, she originally started as just for looks with the Tucson Steampunk Society. I wanted something that looked awesome, something recognizable. And then she really became her own character now. And she has a second outfit that she's just started. <laughs> I, she could blame me for that when I made her buy the jacket. Yes. I've been, this is actually my third year wearing this. And it shows. <laughs> I have not taken the best care of it. So they, there's been like holes in there that I turn into pockets. There's stains that now I say, oh, it's oil stains from working on the ship. <laughs> I mean, I've had it dry cleaned and all that kind of stuff, but there's still some stuff that it can't fix. Did you make it or My mother actually made this for me. My sister tried starting to make it. This was our first project of this kind, so it actually took us 10 months because <laughs> we had no idea. You know? That's how it got its interesting nickname, which I'll tell you later. <laughs> right back. Now, see, when it comes to, like, character accessories, let me give you a bit of an example. This guy's accessory, his name is Thaddeus Cross-Turner. He is, in essence, an axe murderer. Now, the reason I made this guy is because I love horror. I love the idea of, like, you know, the serial killers, uh, Rob Zombie, some of his movies. You can move things like that. I came up with this character because I work in the haunted house industry, and for the longest time I wanted to be the guy with the chainsaw, so I came up with a character to portray that. The reason that he has this axe is because mainly, that's one thing with characters, is if you can't have one weapon, improvise. Make another weapon that's maybe better for cons, or just better to be around people. And that's why I made this. That's a real axe, right? Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. It is a real fire axe. I was going to say, that's probably not popular in certain venues. Where's the other one? And kind of the reason that this is a real cow spine, uh, I found it out in the desert. <laughs> and the reason that he... Upcycle. <laughs> this is also a real axe. <laughs> this was actually put together from a sledgehammer axe head and a fence post that we found out in the desert so we do a lot of scavenging in the true wasteland style i know right <laughs> but the reason he has this is pretty much just to, as an intimidation factor you know you see a real body part or a real bone on something and it makes it just that least bit more gruesome 
And there's always ways to dress up the accessories. Like this one has a little bit of the fake blood, some hair glued to it, and the uh, spinal cord looking thing, spinal column looking thing. And why is that? I just told him. Because he's got your back. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, punishment. Punishment. <laughs> Gotta love it. You're sleeping on the couch. <laughs> I do anyway. <laughs> and pretty much the reason that this is decorated the way it is is because the character is just very random. This is Kilo's axe. He's very random, he's very out there. Whatever he finds, he puts it somewhere on his person. So that's why that's that a real uh, so bird foot? Yes, it is. This is a real rooster foot. See, we are costumers and what we like to call ourselves extreme costumers. If it's not real, we won't use it. <laughs> well, not true for everything. I have some fake knives. <laughs> Now the, next, now, the next thing that we'd like to cover is how not to fall into cliché tropes or archetypes. In other words, being a cliché is so easy nowadays, especially when it comes to, like, steampunk or horror. A lot of people like to be the most feared airship pirate or the most decorated, you know, military veteran of the Queen's Armada kind of thing. Or the best gunslinger in the West. <laughs> A lot of people like to do that, but then you got to think, if they all met, what would happen? <laughs> Who would really be the best? <laughs> True. I so we them. think, you know, if you're going to say you're the best of something or the most feared of something, that's fine, but how did you even get that? Did you earn it? Did you do something to where the other people around you said, oh, you're the most feared, we want nothing to do with you? <laughs> and maybe you're the best or most feared in your area, but then once you get out into the world, you realize, oh, I ain't hot shit. <laughs> Yeah, to put it lightly. Like, I've noticed mostly in the steampunk community, a lot of people like to be, you know, the best airship captain or the most feared airship pirate in all the Aether, uh, or the best alchemist, whatever have you. And then you have, like, um, the steampunk West, you have a lot of the best gunslingers or the best lawmen. It's like, okay, how did they get that way? Did they work their way to the top? Did they earn that <clears throat> title somehow? Because if not, it makes the character less personal. And as you start questioning those things, it starts to influence your outfit even, or your personality, your character when you're in that outfit. It's, it's sadly very easy to step into archetypes because a lot of people nowadays want to be the best or the biggest or the most feared. It's like, you don't have to do that. You can be mediocre and average, and sometimes it's more interesting to be that, because then when your character gets in a situation, it's like, well, how did this plain, average, boring person get over here? Yeah. It's like the chemistry girls, because we're, we're super, duper nice. We, I call us bubblegum villains. Nice. Because you don't expect us to be villains. Nice. I didn't know you were villains until you yeah. told me. See? <laughs> See? How else are we going to get you to drink the tea? I, I'll get the antidote, right? <laughs> Well, if you join the ladies' auxiliary. <laughs> now, see, this guy, the railroad rep, that's his name. I, ste- I steered away from what I like to call the, what's, what, what should I call this? The stereotypical Old West outlaw lore. He, in essence, started off as a general in the military. He had his own platoon, but then he fell in love with a woman, and he started, you know, giving her things to tell her that he liked her, but he eventually ran out of things to give her, so he started taking them from other people, robbing trains, robbing people. 
and one night that kind of caught up with him and he was caught in the explosion of a train that he blew up. So he was brought back to life by a magical practitioner and he in essence is was his duty to find this woman again and say, hey, you did this to me. It's because of you I'm like this. It's because of you I turned to the wrong side of the law. So it's not like he was just, boom, born outlaw. No. <laughs> does story come first, or does that costume idea come story, first? story can do a lot with influencing how the costume looks, yes. Like it, if you find out where they were from, what kind of climate, maybe country, what kind of... Uh, I guess, heritage. It's very different for each person. Some people are very quick and easy to think of story. Like, both of us can think up stories on the spot. And then some people will look at something and think, well, I really like the way this looks. Oh, this looks great with that, too. And then a story develops as they build it. Or later, they'll sit there and think, well, what does this mean? You know? Or like a specific, you find some prop you really, really love. Yes. And, and then you just build a costume and idea. And this crocheted shirt built this outfit. <laughs> I actually found it at Goodwill for three bucks. Or, or macrame or whatever this is. You know? Quite literally, what macrame. built. Yeah, it's macrame. Quite literally, what built all this was just this. That street sign. Yeah. I actually I had this made when I was doing um, a zombie hunter group, and this was my character's armor. But then I'm like, you know, I like post-apocalyptic things. I'm gonna build a character. And what's great about these outfits is they're constantly evolving and building and changing. Like, uh, Revenant didn't have all those spiderweb and mold on it first. That was an idea that she wanted to build towards, but it didn't start that way. (laughs) The story of the character, in essence, as the years go by, he becomes more decrepit. He starts, his bones get bleached, he gets spiderwebs, dirt. He still has the ash on him from the explosion. And, uh... The facial prosthetic that I use for him looks more aged, like an aged skull. And that's because although spells are holding him together, his soul inside his body, it's not keeping him from decaying. You know, that's something that he can't get away from. So as time goes on, he becomes worse off. This uh, bit of armor was added to this character recently, as was this. This was supposed to be her, um, she grew up, her name is Trapper, and she got the name because she traps animals for a living, for, to eat and to sell the fur and bones and stuff. This was her first, it was a pet, <laughs> and her stepfather who taught her how to be a trapper said, well, you gotta learn. <laughs> and so she keeps it as a memento, but then she found he added a unique toy to it. <laughs> <laughs> and for Kilo, that gets his attention. And she found that out eventually. She used to play red light, green light with him. He would run off through the waist and she couldn't catch up. So red light! And he'd stop. But sometimes he wouldn't always listen. So. <laughs> and that gets him to come back. <laughs> you can hear that miles across the waist. <laughs> I think that's another thing that people really like, is if your characters are developed enough and you have someone to interact with, people like, they like seeing that, because it's something you don't see every day. Like, you can you see go a to pretty a, costume all the time, but you, it's rare that you see really well-developed characters interact. It's something, you go to Comic-Con and you see, 
these people need ornate outfits, but they never act. They just kind of stand there for pictures. It's like, okay, what, what's your character? How do they act? You know, if they were in a situation like this, what would they do? And so her and I will randomly just go into character and just interact with each other. And it gets, people love it. We have been stopped so many times for video. There's, yeah, there's, we've had to make sure, of course, we get permission, get the okay, get the thumbs up from security, because we, these two do have a little rough and tumble act where we'll actually attack each other (laughs) and throw each other. (laughs) Oh, stage combat, you never fail us. (laughs) Please, let us know if you guys have any questions. If you have any questions about the characters, if you want to take closer looks, please feel free. Pictures are more than welcome. Oh, yeah, the uh, one character I forgot to mention. That one down there is my zombie Prowler. Prowler, I use, uh, he actually, she, came to fruition when I worked at a haunted house in Phoenix called 13th Floor. And eventually I moved to Chambers of Fear, and this year I worked at a place called The Crypt. Now, Prowler was turned by a wolf who had rabies mixed with the zombie virus. So the rabies and the zombie virus twisted and mutated into an entirely new strand. And that created a zombie that was more animal-minded as opposed to zombie. So it's very quick, it prowls, it stalks, it leaps. And it's very fun for me to do because um, with that particular character, me and a couple others do a lot of skits that involves a lot of um, physical attacks. And people dig it because I actually tackle them, they throw me, they, you know, look like they're butting me with a gun, just all this stuff. How long does it typically take to get into, uh, like, the prosthetic that and the uh, zombie makeup? That guy's prosthetic takes me about, I'd say, 45 minutes, just because I have to get it on my face, I have to get his contacts in, and I have to black out. You know, everything pretty much that you can see. And you wear it for hours. Because I remember at Wild Wild West Con, you, I, when I first met you, you were in that outfit. And oh. Lord, you were, and you worked hard. <laughs> I appreciate <Ish>. that. <laughs> it is a very high-energy character. She's discovered that she can, there's a time frame, three hours max. <laughs> and uh, Prowler, depending on the amount of detail I want in uh, the makeup... It can take me anything from 35 to an hour. In fact, I'm going to show you the makeup that I did for uh, the recent zombie walk. This is down in Phoenix. Here's the color picture of that one I showed you. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) Here it is. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So... Really, know, right? it just all depends on how detailed I feel like being that day. It could take anything from half an hour to an hour That's easily. Amazing. And mine aren't that detailed yet where I have a lot of makeup. In fact, I don't wear makeup in my normal life, so putting on makeup for a character is still very new and strange to me. I'm, but I'm learning. <laughs> I'm showing him from the haunt when there is a lot better of makeup. <laughs> yeah, I just showed the color one. And uh, this guy, actually Retribution, that is all face paint. Ah. He usually takes me about 35, just because it's face paint, and what it is is uh, 
The white is something called Pax Paint. Pax Paint is a mix of medical grade adhesive and um, white paint. And because of that, when you put it on, it's real elastic and it sticks for a long time. It does sweat off. How long does it take? Or what do you do? You have to use special stuff to get it off. Like yes, spirit, I have to use like I have a spirit gum remover kind of thing. I just use regular adhesive remover. And then the black is just regular um, acrylic black body paint. And then the contacts, which are a pain in the butt. I like wearing contacts because the way I see it. It's like, it adds to the effect. If you see somebody with regular eyes, it kind of, to me, it takes away. But if you see them with, like, white eyes or demon eyes, it, it adds that, that little touch. An extra <laughs> level. Yeah. Which, actually, I'm going to start wearing contacts because of a new side to Amara that's coming out called Dark Amara. <laughs> or Alexandria. Or Alexandria is her alternative personality. Chosen name. Yes. Um, actually given by Revenant, more or less. <laughs> so, when you guys are talking about contact lenses, you're talking about colored lenses yes. yeah. with all kinds of different effects. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Cool. Where do you get those? Online at various places. Okay. There's multiple sources. There's the ones you can see at conventions. There's the ones online. Okay. Um, the ones I would recommend is a brand called Gothica. Yeah. That's just because Gothica is... Uh, they're prescriptions, so they're not going to mess up your eyes. Cool. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> My friend actually made that hat for me, and there's stuff for our, once again, I wasn't too careful with some of my stuff, so <laughs> there's pieces missing, but... Yeah, she made that hat for me just out of the blue. It's just a cheap Halloween top hat. I need to add some foam in it, actually, because it sits weird on my forehead. <laughs> it actually... Oops. It actually kind of rocks on my forehead here. Oh, yeah, and you want to talk about uh, real bones? So, like, it sits, but it... <laughs> this is a badger jaw, and this is a uh, mink skull. And then uh, inside the Ming skull, if you look here, there's wires. And in essence, what that is, is there's an LED in there. And I've got a battery pack back here. When I turn it on, the skull glows. Wow. <laughs> show me, show me. I would if I didn't, I would if I didn't forget my battery. <laughs> but about accessories, though, you don't have to have a ton of accessories. Like, she doesn't have a lot of them, but they're very well done, very well placed. Absolutely. Sometimes less is more, you know? Like, Amara... It's the simple things that sometimes catch people's eyes. I'll admit I have one character that has a ton of accessories because... And she's also sometimes called jingly because of it. I mean, your pirate? <laughs> yes, my pirate Captain Amara bloodshed, or blood-drenched. And that's just some of her accessories. That's actually her light outfit. The <laughs> she reason... also has jewelry and... The reason why I'm called jingly, aside from the gypsy bells... <laughs> when I walk around the fair, <laughs> she makes fun of me for it. Yes, I do. <laughs> and it's funny because the reason her nickname is Blood Drenched is because. Well, what was that gun you wanted to get again? Oh, that boarding. It's the. Uh, it's one of the um, muskets with the boarding axe on it. 
She goes a little nuts in battle. Yeah, <laughs> she got blood drenched because during one particularly bloody high seas battle, the only weapon she could find was an axe, so she got it and just started wailing, and she came back blood drenched. And that's how she got her name saved, <coughs> when she very first started becoming a pirate. <laughs> My pirate is Aurelia Logan. She is Italian-based, and she is now... Here's what I mean when I tell people stay away from stereotypes. She is a vampire, but how she became a vampire was once she got on Amara's ship, they had, um, yeah, just skip ahead a little bit. Once she got on Amara's ship, there was a sword tournament in France, and uh, Amara and her first mate were entered as some of the contestants. So they go, and you know, they're doing fairly well, and then she comes up against this guy who she doesn't know why there's just something wrong about him he makes her very uncomfortable and she fights him and he needless to say lays her flat so after the tournament he meets her kind of in an alley and she finds out he's a vampire they fight a little bit he actually bites her but as he's biting her she in essence literally blows his stomach out with her with her uh, pistol and that's how she became a vampire but she's not, you know, broody about it. She doesn't go, oh, what was me? I'm a vampire or anything like that. <laughs> she actually really likes it, but she's not overly flamboyant about it. In fact, she likes to keep it to herself. So she did get bit. Yes. She did. Okay, gotcha. But she blew his stomach out. <laughs> yep, okay, to put it he, lightly. Is he still in the body or, what, or not? Or is he dead? Oh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. he did survive that encounter, but it took some healing. <laughs> just, just so he is, he is still alive, but the way that she dealt with him is while he was weakened, she threw him down in the, in the French catacombs. So he's stuck down there until she comes back to get him. Okay. And he has nothing but rats to feed on. And he has time to heal. That's good. But with the rats, that doesn't really help him. <laughs> Not at all. So it's funny when they when they get when they try is that to. That's the technical term. It is <laughs> highly technical. Highly technical. So when they're trying to board a ship, and you know, take all their riches, things like that, their gunpowder cannons, blah blah blah. Aurelia goes on first, and the crew of that ship quickly learns that she can't be killed. So she's kind of their first person on ships they're trying to take. Now, how do you handle daylight then? <laughs> she is what's called a daywalker. She is a daywalker, but it's not to say she enjoys being in the sun. She's, she wasn't fully turned, because although he bit her, she didn't get the full effect. She didn't drink the blood back. You know? <laughs> May I take a picture? Oh, sure. Go for sure. it. One thing um, I just thought about while you were talking is, one thing we forgot to discuss is when you're picking out your materials... Make sure it's something that, yes, it may look awesome for you, the outfit you want, the look you want, but make sure it's something you can stand wearing, especially for a long time. Don't count on the air conditioning of places to, because... in Arizona. Oh, I know. Because sometimes places are so packed, it doesn't make a difference, like Phoenix Comic Con. Um, sometimes <laughs> places, their AC just doesn't work very well at all. Or you're outside, like Wild West Con. <laughs> so, you know, just be wary of the materials you choose. And I would... Try it out. Like, you know, of course, as you change while you're making it to make sure it fits, you know, also spend a day in it or half a day, you know, walk around in it, make sure it's safe in weird places, you know, <laughs> just all of that. <laughs> Same thing, thing with accessories. 
One thing that I try to tell people is when you are picking out materials, try to be as close as you can to the material if it was used in a specific time period. Because... <laughs> Which would be everything. Because, because the last thing you want to do is, say for instance you're doing like a Renaissance character, last thing you want to be seen in is like uh, leather or polyester, oh, just something yes. that's you know today made. You want to go for cottons and things like that. Which... As you can see, half of my stuff isn't exactly period, although some of it is. Um, and it's also colors that would not be worn by the commoners. Red was not worn by commoners. That was a royal color. You know, that was a high society color. But she's a pirate. She doesn't care. <laughs> and she wants to stand out. <laughs> she wants to say, hey, look at me. And she does have other pieces. She has tons of pieces. We accessorize, can't you tell? She has a more... <laughs> a more modern red shirt, which this is completely modern, but still has the peasant blouse look to it. Mm -hmm. She has about three other skirts, but this is especially for like when you know the rare day it snows here <laughs> up at rare the day. Yeah. So she can just wear that under there, and she also has a white top that's the same as this one. This one was actually from an old Halloween costume back when you could take pieces apart on Halloween costumes and they weren't all sewn together, but I still love it. So I kept it. <laughs> and at least at the front of it, it kind of looks almost authentic. <laughs> now, going back to what we were talking about, about straying away from stereotypes and uh, just things like that, I've noticed that when a lot of women in more particular do uh, pirate characters, what is the color scheme they do? <laughs> they see red. Red, white, and black usually, right? Like the traditional Halloween, uh, traditional pirate Halloween colors. pirate colors. Yeah, uh, Aurelia's color scheme is white, black, and green, mainly because of the Italian bit. And hers, I think, is like isn't like red, gold, red, gold, black, cream. Which yeah, it's some of the more traditional Halloween colors, but they fit her and she loves them. You know. You know, as far as tropes and stereotypes go, if, the, if it's something you truly enjoy, whether it's the color scheme or the look or the title or whatever, that's fine, you know? It's not to say you can't be those things, but at least try to have a story. Don't just be like, well, I'm this, you know? It's like, well, I'm, you know, Captain this guy from, uh, again, the Queen's Armada. It's like, how do you get in the Queen's Armada? How did he become a captain? What was he before all of this? Was he just born a captain? When he when he was born, did the queen go, I like you, you're going to be in my armada, come on. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't have to be highly detailed story. <laughs> Although, we're snobs for stories, so. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Our backstories usually range about like that. Yeah, she asked me to do a, basically a four dummies version of Revenant's backstory. It's three pages long right now. Mm -hmm. And that's the dumbed down story. <laughs> that's like to the point story. <laughs> We think that if you actually add a backstory, a history to your character, it makes them easier to portray as well. It makes them easier to act out their mannerisms, how they would act, react, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I do backstories for like, like Dungeons and Dragons characters. Yep. So yep. you know when, when we're role playing RPGs, I always write up a backstory. Oh yes, it makes it it makes it, it so much easier. It does. With this guy, he doesn't talk at all. Retribution. So, um, it's interesting because when I walk around and people talk to me, I feel rude because the character doesn't talk. So usually I have to explain to them that he's a silent character. 
especially if they keep trying to have a conversation with you. Like, she'll do, like, that solemn, creepy nod, you know, <laughs> and then they'll just, they'll be like, okay. Cards. <laughs> yeah, cards. Cue cards. Yeah. Oh, God, I can just imagine Rhett with little cards. <laughs> <laughs> and, no. the same, and the same thing goes for my axe murderer character, Thaddeus. He's completely silent, but I used him in the haunted house as well. And the only noises he would make is he would make, like, you know, sounds of exertion if he was chasing someone. Like, he would have those ragged pants, or he would grunt, he would, you know, make these... Yeah. Really, that was it, though. He wouldn't talk at all. Well, Retribution isn't totally silent. He's supposed to speak telepathically, but you can't portray that. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I mean, you could sit there and do, like, the stereotypical, but... That's not him. <laughs> and I just thought, when I was putting together his outfit, I figured demon, dark colors, uh, try to just hide what he really is, and that's why he's got, you know, the nice vest, he's got the nice leather gloves, duster. Sorry. I was just toying with it. <laughs> I love you. You're so sleeping on the couch. (laughs) And just, what I try to do to show people that he is supposed to be a steampunk character is I added the goggles, because goggles equal steampunk. They're ubiquitous. And the little glass vials that are kind of ornate. So, really, when I came up with his design, I thought Western meets steampunk meets voodoo. That's why he's got the face paint on, and originally he had a small coyote skull up here. I've changed that to the minx, and then that's why he has this. Yeah, because I could have swore it was a bigger one. Yeah, it was, one. but it, it wasn't doing so hot up there. So. At, the, at Phoenix Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fashion show. Yep. I, I just, so I switched it out because it was just it was too bulky. I didn't like it. So I got this little guy up there instead. And uh, really, I just, I'm like, this is too plain. So I just wrapped the rope around it, wrapped this, got the chain. It's got little crystals here and there. And really, he was supposed to be a simple but detailed character. And that's completely fine. You know, your character doesn't have to be too simple or too ornate or too accessorized like this guy. He's accessorized because everything that he has... Again, he's conglomerated from people he ate. <laughs> so, <laughs> and chickens apparently. Oh yeah, mummified chicken. <laughs> do you guys have any more questions? How do you guys get started doing this? We've always, well, at least I've always had uh, an interest in just playing dress up and way back when in the 1700s. <laughs> now, then um, I was in acting and theater classes from when I was seven to 21. Then my mom started taking me to Ren Fairs, and Amara was born and kept building and growing. And then, uh, especially, it was actually the first Wild West Con in 2011. I saw met Steam Power Giraffe, became friends with them. I met a lot of the people I know now, became friends with them, and started with Jocelyn uh, she was Simone or Weathers Jocelyn you know me and her started the Tucson Steampunk Society and I just built costumes from that <laughs> and then I kept going and now she's I've always been into horror but now she's getting me back into horror 
because I never, I didn't have anybody for the longest I'm time. I'm a bad influence. <laughs> I got her into horror, and I also got her into the post-apocalyptic thing. I kind of got her to come out of the closet on a lot of what she likes. Yeah, because, I mean, for years I shelved it because I didn't have anybody else who enjoyed it. So, And my family was like, you know, my grandmother was the kind to sit me down and make sure I sat up straight, my legs, you know, my ankles crossed, knees to the side. Elbows off the table. <laughs> yeah, fingers off the food. <laughs> and, you know... Which knife was what, and you know, and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, like, she didn't like hit me with a rule or anything if I got it wrong, but she tried to impress that young lady, you know, mm-hmm. like attitude on me. And a lot of it sticks. She makes fun of me sometimes. She goes, You're sitting so proper. <laughs> I, I was raised by my grandmother, who was Southern Catholic, so she tried the same thing on me. But on the opposite side was my grandfather, who was a mechanic since he was 12. So, you know, I would belch, I would, you know, just, I would shout, I would have my elbows on the table and all that, and he didn't mind, it was my grandmother that minded. And those, all of those things from us growing up definitely reflect in shards of our characters. Like, Amara is my very much, not uptight, but just... Proper. Yeah, very proper, tight-laced person. <laughs> just... Yeah, because she feels she also has to be. She grew up in the slums of Sydney... Where she didn't need to be proper, but she thought, well, if I want to get out of here, I can only, I'll can. i either have to work on my back or work in the factories, and I'm not going to do either. So she's like, she got out, became an airship captain, started her own cargo company, and is very successful, and she feels that she has to keep portraying that ladylike politeness in order to get further in the world. And then along comes Retribution, who constantly makes fun of her for it. <laughs> I mean, Remnant, who makes fun of her for it. They both start with R. Yeah. Uh, with me, I was raised by my mother primarily, who was into something called SCA, Society for Creative Anachronism, for those who don't know. And um, we were in, you know, the Black Black Rose House. We'd go every Wednesday to Melee. We would go to the wars. But around about age 10, I had to stop. And, uh, family issues. And then, um, you know, I watched cartoons, watched many movies like uh, the Muppets a lot of Jim Henson a lot of Disney a lot of all that stuff Uh, I played video games my first gaming console was an SNES and um, I would mimic what I saw on the cartoons or video games I would mimic how they acted how they walked how they talked and I was I guess you'd call it a self-taught actor and that's that's kind of where it bloomed is I saw the dudes in armor, I saw the king and queen, I saw just all of them, and some of them had characters. And I'm like, I want to do that, that looks awesome. I can, you know, make a character and portray it, and people would be okay with it. So, needless to say, my first characters I created, I was four, don't judge me. (laughs) They were my imaginary friends. And then it just kind of grew from there because my first official outfit was my squire outfit that I wore when I was in SCA because uh, my mom's ex-fiance was a fighter. So I would help him get on his armor, I'd get him water, help him fix his weapons, things like that. And it just grew and grew and grew. And eventually I started going to, like, conventions. Uh, My biggest one was PCC when it first started in 2008. Went to the first one. You know, when it was just an itty-bitty convention. And it just, it blossomed. From there, I'm like, you know what? I can be one of those people that people want to take pictures with. I can be one of those people who are, you know, on podcasts, things like that. I can do it. So it 
Boom. One thing I would mention, though, is just because you create a character that might explore facets of your personality or things you want to do that you wouldn't normally be able to, that's no excuse for certain behaviors. It doesn't excuse you to do or say certain things to anyone. You still have your boundaries. You know, you still have to have... You still have to obey laws and rules and societal politeness. <laughs> a good example would be Retro, uh, Revenant. His character, uh, the best way I can describe this, is a silver-tongued asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he likes, he can talk his way into and out of anything, but he can insult you, and you wouldn't even know it until five minutes later. You're walking away going, wait a minute. <laughs> now, that being said, with that particular character... I don't really portray that if I'm at a convention or something like that because I don't know who gets offended by what. Mm-hmm. So I kind of make him more playful. I make him more, you know, play play jabs like uh, with So then Amara. when do you portray it? In a manner, but like more so with her. Like he'll make fun of her corset or something like that. He'll make fun of her bust. Or he'll... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But not, not to anyone else, just to her, because... It's, it's more controlled and private role-play that we do that kind of stuff, but in conventions and more public settings, it's toned down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially with, uh, like, my axe murderer. If I portrayed half the stuff he did in, like, role-play or what I saw him as originally, I'd be in jail by now. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can get away with more of it at haunted houses, but not so much at conventions. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like with the zombie. The zombie is meant to get in your bubble. It's meant to make you feel uncomfortable. It's meant to scare you. But being in haunted houses has taught me one thing. It's taught me to gauge uh, my audience. Will this scare work on this person? Will that person get scared at all? This person looks like they have a bad day. Or this person just looks like they may need a laugh. So, you know, I'll change it up from scary zombie to playful zombie. Who, you know, rolls over, uh, gives paw, things like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Becomes rather goofy. (laughs) Especially if it's around little, little kids. Yeah. Little, little kids, I I can't scare. I just can't. Like, there's there's been times they see Revenant coming and just see the skull mask or skull prosthetic uh and everything, and they're just like, oh, they're already, like, behind their mothers, you know. And she'll try, and, you know, hey. You know, and stuff, and half the time they do, sometimes they don't, you know. Because there are some kids that absolutely adore zombies, and then there are other kids that... (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big kid afraid of clowns. (laughs) And yet she hangs out with me who hangs out with haunted house clowns. Well, haunted house clowns are different. They're meant to be scary. Yes, they are. (laughs) But like a regular old birthday clown? No, just over there. (laughs) <laughs> I just <laughs> like I, I feel bad because sometimes like at well well uh, well well Westcon Westcon hi I can talk <laughs> you can English yes I can I speak good English <laughs> there was more than one instance where I would walk up and you know they would have their little kid like I'd go two to say five or six and. I would walk up to him as Revenant, and, you know, they would start getting that face, that I'm about to cry face, and I'm just like, you know, okay, all right. <laughs> so I just back off, and I go to the other side of the road just to put some space, because I don't know whose mother's going to get mad at me <laughs> for accidentally scaring their child. Or who might contact con heads and be like, you've had this ultra-scary person, you know? <laughs> 
Revenant is he they they love the character but it's kind of walking on ice with him because he is a little scary a little bit and it is horror meets steampunk they like that but for some reason they think he's scary but then you look at um like the dude who does a gentleman robot that big thing with like the drill his battle form john floyd john floyd and i'm just going and that's not scary but i am okay well, he's, you know, it's like a big toy robot. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like a dead person. <laughs> That's the best way I could say that. It's just a dead person. Well, like you said, it's some, it's some people saying other people's not. Yeah. But we've actually got to wrap this up. I got the flash. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was wonderful. Thank you. Any last minute questions? Feel free to look at costumes, take pictures. <laughs> Thanks for putting this on. Not a problem. No problem. <laughs> Feel free to ask questions, take pictures, do whatever you want. We also have a little pronounced kind of overview of what we talked about. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So what's the character's name that you're in now? This is Kilo. Kilo. <laughs> and the way that he, actually the way that he got that name is one day when he was down in the pit, he heard uh, his fellow, uh, his fellow tribe mates, they were talking about something, and he heard the word Kilo, K-I-O-O. And he's like, I like that, but I don't know how to spell it. So he decided to use it as his name, but he spells it K-E-E-L-O instead of K-I-L-O. So. Cool. I, I like how your characters have character. Thank you. It's very cool. Yeah. It makes it so much fun. To, it makes it so much fun to do them. I believe you. You guys have any soundbite for the Creative Claim Podcast Network? Yes. Uh, yes. Check out my webpage. It's uh, facebook.com/shatteredcreations. That's mine. And mine is facebook.com/captainamarodegan for Black Aether cosplay. Thank you, guys. No problem. And also for you, I have a thing. Oh yes, I have a thing. I have a thing. I have a thing for everyone. We both have things. I almost forgot I had things. Things. Oh. Well, thank you kindly. Uh, yeah, I never get these things. Here you go. Is there two in there? How's that? <laughs> I support cannibalism. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was actually somebody at PCC this year who wouldn't take it because it said I support cannibalism. <laughs> well, most people, you know, would just laugh and get the joke and you know, yeah, <laughs> and treat it like okay, you don't literally support it's cannibalism. <laughs> Alrighty. Cool. Oh, nice. I hardly ever get ribbons. I don't know how to put them on properly. Everyone likes ribbons. I don't know. It's a vegetarian. Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network. And feel free to enjoy our other shows, such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening. Should I start? I'm recording now, so go ahead. What time is it? It's 3.08. Might as well get going. All right. Carry on. Do you allow photos? I'm sorry? Do we allow photos? Oh, yes. Go for it. Photos are totally allowed. Photos are very much encouraged.